So the barber trims my beard all nice, like an artist. Now, I didn't tell him to do that. I wanted the beard gone. So then I went home and shaved it off completely after I was done. I felt horrible. The passion. Rafael Devers is the biggest contract in franchise history. He needs to be a leader for this Red Sox team. The opinions on all your favorite teams. Are the Patriots close to playoff contention? Yes. Are they close to Super Bowl contention? Hell no. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Happy Friday here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Short show tonight. We're up until 610. Then it's Red Sox baseball. Sox welcoming in Otani, Trout, and the rest of the Angels. We'll have that for you, 6-10 pregame show, 7-10 first pitch. Patrick Sandoval on the mound for the Angels. Uh, Tanner Houck gets the ball for the Red Sox. couple of good pieces of news for the Red Sox here today. Brian Bayo's going to come up. Looks like he's going to start Monday. Monday, he'll start on Marathon Monday against Otani. And then also we'll get uh, Trevor Story started playing some catch today. No idea what that means for his rehab timetable, but the fact that he is throwing at least here, that is a – Pretty good thing, and I do believe he will be back at some point here before this season ends, and maybe even back earlier than we thought. Maybe we thought the All-Star break or so would be the earliest. Just maybe that'll be the case. You can get in on the text line, 802-585-3026. Again, 802-585-3026. The show is brought to you by Fecto Homes. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. And here we Go. And Buster Olney of ESPN is going to stop by with us here in 15 minutes. He'll join us at about 545, talk about the Red Sox after their sweep against the Tampa Bay Rays. They turn the page today and try to um, yeah, turn their, uh, try to turn the page. Text says Duvall coming back in June. Yes, that is kind of the thought. Duvall expected to be out six to eight weeks, which would put him back here. Very end of May, extremely end of May. Or early June. I've been expecting Duvall to be back in June all along. Trevor Story hopefully back there sometime mid-July, end of July, whereas before we were thinking he might miss the entire season. So, again, Buster will be with us here in about 15 minutes. Celtics start their playoff run tomorrow. Game one against the Atlanta Hawks is at 3.30 from the Garden. I have no concern about this series with Atlanta. I'm going to go on record now. I think the Celtics are going to win this series in five. I think the Celtics are going to win this series in five. And the reason why I think that is because Trey Young does nothing to scare me. He's a good scorer. He can get hot. I'm well aware of that. He's an NBA player who's the leading scorer on an NBA team. I'm fully aware Trey Young is capable of doing damage. But I believe the Celtics are fully capable of bothering him of getting in his head, of wearing him down. You look at what you look at how these teams are constructed. The Hawks are built on wiry guards, Young and, De- and Dejounte Murray. The Celtics are built on thicker, stronger forwards. The Celtics have more length. The Celtics have more height. The Celtics have more defensive versatility. I just think the Hawks are a little bit soft. Bogdanovich is a little soft. Young is soft. I think they can get in their head. I think the Celtics are going to win this series in five. Now, the Hawks are not to be taken lightly since Quinn Snyder took over. They're tops in the 
NBA in points per game. They're in the top two in offensive rebounds per game. They're in the top five in pace of play per game. So the Hawks will get up and run. They will get up and down, and they do have the ability to score. So they are not to be taken lightly, but that said, I am not worried about them at all. I have just watched enough Trey Young games in my life to think that the Celtics will be able to rattle him. I think Marcus Smart will be able to rattle him. I think Jalen Brown will be able to rattle him. I think Malcolm Brogdon can get a turn at him. The Celtics have the ability to rotate different defenders on him. They have the ability to body him. They have the ability to just get him off his game. That's who Trey Young is. He's a scorer, but he's a guy who I think is easily irritable and a guy who can be thrown and a guy who can be taken off his game. So I got the Celtics winning tomorrow, and I got them winning tomorrow in a big way. I think tomorrow will be a convincing victory. I'm looking forward to sitting down and watching all of game one. Jalen Brown looks like he's going to go. He's got that hand laceration, but stitches are out. He's going to go. Hopefully he's all good to go. I think the Celtics win this game, though. Texter says, I think the Celtics sweep Atlanta. I will never call for the sweep. I will go with the gentleman's sweep, which is five games. But I'll never call for the sweep. I, these are NBA players. They play with emotion. They play in front of their fans. I can easily see a scenario where the Celtics take the first two in Boston and Atlanta gets game three back in their home building. I can see a scenario where the Celtics take the first three games and Atlanta takes game four in their building backs against the wall. Texter says they swept Brooklyn last year. Yes, just because they swept Brooklyn last year does not mean I'm going to go predicting them to sweep this year. And that's that, that Brooklyn team was soft as well, given the nature of Kyrie. Now, Atlanta doesn't have Kyrie. So I, they might be less likely to implode and more likely to play hard. I like Clint Capella. I like John Collins. I like Bogdanovich. I, Atlanta has a lot of good players. They have a lot of likable players. But I think with Trey Young, I think they're a little bit soft, and I think he's a little bit irritable. And I can just see Marcus Smart getting under his skin. I could just see Malcolm Brogdon being able to lock him down, him going to the lane, getting bodied by how physical the Celtics are. Celtics win this one in five. Celtics win this one in five. Uh, Kendrick Perkins of ESPN, the former Celtic, said something interesting this morning on ESPN. He says Jason Tatum has the most pressure of anyone in the playoffs. The guy that I'm looking at that's under the most pressure this season to deliver a championship is Jason Tatum. And I get it. People are saying, no, that's crazy. He's young. He's still got a lot of, uh, a, a lot of basketball left in his career, and rightfully so. But guess what? He also has all the pieces he need around him to actually get it done. And what he did last year in the finals, disappearing, Jason Tatum needs to get his lick back. I got a text from Jack on the text line I want to get to in a second, but I want to address Kendrick Perkins here. Jason Tatum has pressure. I, th I think, look, the best, pl if you are a top four seed in the NBA playoffs, your best player has pressure. Right, you are, If you're in a top four seed, you have championship aspirations. Therefore, your best player has pressure. Jason Tatum has pressure. For all the reasons Perk says, right? There's going to be all the lists. Is he a top five player in the league? Is he a top three player in the league? Is he a max contract guy? And could you build around him? And all that. All that narrative is going to come. Then there's the narrative of what happened to him last year in the playoffs and kind of did a disappearing act, as he said, in games, you know, 
three through six. But every best player in the NBA or every best player on their team has pressure in the NBA playoffs. I think there are still people with more pressure than Jason Tatum. Right? Jokic is a two-time MVP. The Nuggets have been a top seed or have been a top three Western Conference seed for years and have never been able to get down, have never been able to break down the door. I think he's got some pressure. I think he's got a huge amount of pressure on him. Donovan Mitchell forced his way out of a good situation in Utah. Now he's in Cleveland. They're a top four seed. There's pressure on Donovan Mitchell. No doubt is there pressure on Donovan Mitchell. There's always pressure on LeBron, right? This could be the last time LeBron gets to the playoffs. How many minutes can LeBron play? How long can he take this? If he wins the title, what does it do for his resume? LeBron's got pressure. There's pressure on Giannis. Can he get a second one? Because if you get a second one, you add yourself into a rarefied air. John Morant, how about you? Can you come back from your transgressions this season and lead Memphis to its first title? How deep can you take Memphis? Are the Warriors going to fall apart if they don't win? So how much pressure is on Steph and Draymond and Clay? There's pressure on everybody. I don't think that Jason Tatum has the most pressure in the NBA. To me, it comes down to Jokic and it comes down to Joel Embiid. That, to me, is where the two the guys with the most pressure lands. Jokic, two-time MVP, has never been to the finals. Embiid, a guy who's an MVP caliber player, might win it this year, has never been to the finals, has never even been to the Eastern Conference finals. I think those guys have more pressure than Tatum. I do. Now, as I told you the other day, I think I think Joe, I think uh, Joe Mazzula has pressure on him to try to keep the band together. I think I think the head coach has pressure on him to try to keep his guys happy and keep them from pulling at Donovan Mitchell. But I don't think Jason Tatum has the most pressure in the NBA. He has gotten to the finals. He has overcome here the Celtics coaching issues, the Ime Udoka scandal. He's proven he's a great player. He's proven that he's durable. Yes, I get it. You need to win the title. But Jokic, Embiid, James Harden doesn't have as much pressure anymore because we've kind of written him off as just Embiid's sidekick. But he's got some pressure. Russell Westbrook always has pressure. I think Kawhi Leonard has pressure on him. There's pressure everywhere. Texter says most pressure is on Embiid, no doubt. Oh, Phoenix has a huge amount of pressure. Right? Chris Paul never won the finals. Got to the finals a couple of years ago against Giannis. Lost. Chris Paul has been riding this greatest player to never win a title wave along with Charles Barkley here for a while. Devin Booker. Can they keep this group together? Paul and Booker and Durant. They went out and got Durant for the purposes of winning. Can they actually do it? So I, I think I would put Jokic, Embiid, and Chris Paul all ahead of Tatum as far as having most pressure. Texas says uh, Kawhi Leonard also has a ton of pressure. He's won a title. He's so quiet, I think he flies under the radar. But I would agree with you. Kawhi Leonard has pressure too. I don't know if he has more than Tatum, given that he's already won. Tex says Suns do have all the pressure. Suns have a lot of pressure, right? Chris Paul, Durant, they made the move. They made the move. And... They're going to get a chance if they if things shake out the way they're supposed to. They're going to get a chance to take on Jokic in the second round 
And that's going to be a great series where you're going to have a lot of pressure both ways. All right, Jack says, Trey Young's played some of the best playoff games ever at Madison Square Garden, toughest arena in basketball. I'd be careful calling him soft. I wouldn't. Trey Young couldn't get along with his head coach, Nate McMillan. He got his head coach, Nate McMillan, fired. Nate McMillan took that team to the Eastern Conference Finals two years ago. You can't get along with your head coach like that? Soft. Trey Young wanted Kevin Herter traded by the reports that I read. I don't know why he didn't like playing with him. Herter seems to be doing pretty well in Sacramento. You're trying to get your teammates traded and your coach fired? Soft. I'm not saying he doesn't have a bit of an FU quality that can uh, you know, allow him to raise up in a pressure-filled environment. He does. And he's fully capable of going for 35 tomorrow. I just don't think that he's going to, or if he does, I don't think it's going to be easy. If Trey Young gets 35 tomorrow, it might be on 9 of 29 shooting. And I'll take that. I'll take that kind of inefficiencies. Trey Young, to me, he's not the guy. There's a reason why Atlanta reportedly has the green light to trade him this offseason. They're tired of his act, too, and they're going to go down in this series in five. I'm tired of the Red Sox act. They've lost four straight. They were swept by the Rays. They're taking on the Angels coming up later tonight. Buster Olney of ESPN. He's going to stop by with us next on the Brady Farkas Show on DEV. Heard by texting onto the Brady Farkas Show at 802-585-3026. All the insight into everything going on in baseball. It's time for our weekly conversation with ESPN Baseball Insider and Vermont native, Buster Olney. I'm just about ready to bet the family farm in Vermont. On the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show here on this Friday on WDEV AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Shorter show today. We're up until 6.10, and then we kick it on over to Red Sox baseball. Sox coming off that four-game sweep at the hands of the red-hot Tampa Bay Rays. They're taking on the Angels tonight for the first of a four-game set, so good to see Trout and Otani come to Boston. Joining us now is our ESPN MLB insider, Buster Olney. Buster, how are you? Uh, I'm doing okay, but not as well as the Tampa Bay Rays and a whole lot better than the Red Sox. Yeah, that's for sure. I saw your tweet this morning. Red Sox already eight games back in the division right now, sitting at 5-8 and eight overall. Let me start with the Rays. It's, it's undoubtedly true that they are good. Are they as good as they appear to be, or are they a product of what has been a very soft schedule so far? Uh, they're as good as they appear to be. And what's different is how uh, great their offense is. You know, for years and years, we've talked about the Rays and their ability to develop pitching, and that's, you know, helped out, fostered by the fact they play in a pitcher-friendly ballpark. Uh, and they have good pitching again, but their offense this year is staggering. I mean, think about this number. You know, so far this year, they've hit 32 home runs. Their opponents have hit six. 32 home runs for them six for their opponents uh, they've only trailed in six innings at the end of six innings this year that's the best number for any team since the uh, 18, 1884 maroons <laughs> i think it's chicago maroons or st louis maroons whatever it is it's insane they their average margin for victory so far this season is five and a half runs per game and i said this on sports center last night look that's something you might see in SEC football, Georgia-Alabama playing homecoming games against you know, some uh, class, uh, you know, Division three team. It's not something you see in baseball. So they're obliterating teams 
with what is a dramatically improved offense now that Wanda Franco, uh, Randy Rosarena are both healthy. How good is that Rays Blue Jays series this weekend going to be? That's an early season oh. ALE slugfest. That's going to be awesome. Yeah, like today, we have on Sunday Night Baseball this week the Astros and the and the uh, the Rangers. I will tell you that tonight I'll be watching the Blue Jays. Hmm. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll keep an eye on that, uh, the Blue Jays and Rays, because Toronto's playing really well. Before they lost last night to, to the Tigers, they had won seven of eight games. They took, they look terrific. The Rays are unstoppable at this point, so we'll, we'll see. I will tell you that after watching the Rays, who I didn't even pick to make the playoffs this year, after two and a half weeks of watching them and talking with the Rays folks, uh, I now think they're going to go wire to wire. I don't think anybody's catching them because of you know how excellent they are, and they're so deep that even after losing a starting pitcher like Jeffrey Springs from yesterday's game with an elbow issue, you know that they have the confidence they'll be able to replace him just as they were able to replace Tyler Glass now last season. Buster on the Red Sox, I I call I I saw them called yesterday just a collection of spare parts, and I thought that was a relatively good way of putting it, but. I think, I think I get the Red Sox plan. The Red Sox plan is to develop a homegrown core and then spend around it. We've seen it work for the Braves. We've seen it work for the Astros. We've seen it work for the Royals. I think that that's a really good way to win in baseball. The problem for me is the execution of that plan. The Red Sox are not building that homegrown core. You look around, yes, there's Devers, there's probably Casas, and there's hopefully Bayo. And after that, there's almost nobody at the upper minors or the majors here that's young that you have hit on and you've been left with this collection of spare parts. So to me, the plan is not the problem. It's the execution of the plan. Do you agree with me? I agree with you. And part of that is uh, it's not about Bloom. To me, it's about John Henry. And he will now be tested uh, as we move forward, you know, what his level of patience is. I don't think that you can ask uh, a fan base in Philadelphia or in New York or in Boston to sit back and wait six to eight years for your team to re- completely rebuild and, and to build a farm system the way they have in Tampa Bay. I just don't think it's possible because I think the fans' unhappiness will wind up manifesting itself. It already has. You and I know this. You know, Rafael Devers probably doesn't get that monster contract that he got in the spring if not for ownership and the leadership of the team feeling the heat from fans unhappy about what's going on. And look, uh, you know, at some point, as the Yankees continue to win, as the the Rays are what they are now, uh, you know, Baltimore getting better. And, of course, Toronto, the the Red Sox context, it's going to make them look more ugly than they probably do look. I agree with you. Uh, The way that, uh, you know, your assessment of whether or not we should consider them a group of spare parts that's kind of the way they are. That's a fact. They've got, you know, two or three guys who are, you know, everyday players, players you can count on for, you know, 150 games for a, a position player or, you know, 30 starts in the rotation. But there's not much there in terms of the guys who are going to be around when the Red Sox turn the corner. Buster Olney, ESPN MLB Insider with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. You know, I, I didn't get to New England until, until 2016, so the Ben Sherrington era predates me. So I'll ask you for a little context. Ben Sherrington was tasked with building up the farm system, did that, but ultimately didn't get to see it all the way to fruition because they canned him in favor of Dave Dombrowski. 
Bloom has failed to develop talent at the upper minors and the majors right now, but we do believe there's some talent in the low minors. So I do believe there is a wave coming for the Red Sox at some point in the next four years or so. The question is, is Bloom going to get Ben Charrington to not get to see it to fruition? I completely agree with you, which is why I think now that the, the onus really is on John Henry and whether or not he'll wind up changing things and I remember having a conversation with folks in the Red Sox organization last year about John Henry, uh, even through this great success the last two decades, four championships, he changed course many times. You know, he dumped Theo Epstein effectively, moved on past him. He, you know, brought in Ben, uh, and then he got impatient with the direction of the team at that time. They bring in Dave Dombrowski. They spend a lot more money. And then John Henry gets impatient with what Dave was doing, and they bring in Heim Bloom. Um, you know, if on one hand, I, I, I think that he probably owes it to Heim to, to ride this out and give him the opportunity. But on the other hand, he's also got to listen to his fans who are really unhappy. Uh, we heard the booing on opening day, and that's only going to get louder as they continue to drift downward in the standings. If Tampa Bay, Toronto, Yankees run away from them. Buster, the Angels are coming to town tonight. Mike Trout, Shohei Otani. It's it's. You've been on top of the Otani impending free agency from the beginning. It's one thing if he doesn't want to play in Boston. It's one thing if he just chooses to go somewhere else. My question is, do you think the Red Sox will be at the table when it comes to the proper money offer for Otani? No chance. Hmm. Absolutely no chance. Uh, you know, they, they, they need to do their due diligence and have the conversation and ask the question where the numbers are going to go. But an organization that was unwilling to give Mookie Betts the contract that he wanted or Xander Bogarts the contract that he wanted is not going to be uh, a team that's going to have the pile of money, uh, be willing to spend the pile of money that's going to be required for Otani. As you and I have talked about in past weeks, the key question is, will his contract number start with a five, $500 million plus, or will it start with a six, $600 million plus? There's no way the Red Sox are navigating in those waters. Do who do you think is? I mean, you said the Dodgers from the beginning. I got to assume the usual suspects: the Dodgers, the Yankees, maybe the Cubs, and all of a sudden maybe the Texas Rangers, the Padres. Like, is that is that the group of five, and that's it? So let's be clear: uh, the Cubs certainly have the money uh, and the financial flexibility to do it. Uh, the the Mariners, your Mariners, Ooh. you would assume they would check in and do their due diligence. The Giants, but I really think it's going to come down to a battle between the Dodgers who, you know, and they, they've had internal talks among their players about taking a run at Otani this offseason, and the New York Mets with the richest owner in baseball, uh, Steve Cohen, and their general manager, the one that Steve hired, was the guy who lured Otani to Anaheim, uh, Billy Epler. And so in free agency, not only do I think the Mets are going to wind up offering the biggest contract uh, to Otani, the largest number, but they've also got Epler, who Otani trusts and knows. And I think maybe we should learn from recent history and say, yeah, we can't forget about the San Diego Padres either. Yeah. Like, they seem to be willing to spend everything. They had the biggest offer on the table to Aaron Judge. They had the biggest offer on the table to Trey Turner. They outbid the Red Sox by 75% to get Xander Bogarts. And uh, maybe we should learn from all that and anticipate that they'll be in the conversation. You know, I know you said the Red Sox won't be in those waters, but they should still do their due diligence. I'm curious, like, do the Red Sox deploy 
Yoshida this weekend and say, hey, take him out to dinner and all that kind of stuff? Or one, is that tampering? And two, am I thinking way too uh, uh, diabolically about this? Well, yeah. I mean, Yoshida, I would assume, you know, uh, from what I understand, they're friends. And so they would go out to dinner. But, yeah, I don't think the team should ever go within a million miles of asking him to do that. Hmm. And, and the reason why I think they need to do their due diligence in the fall is quite simply this. When Otani signs with another team, whether it's the Mets or the Dodgers, and you're Heim Bloom, if he's the one, or if you're John Henry uh, sitting at that press conference uh, in the wintertime, and the question is asked, did you guys talk to Otani's people? The answer can't be no. Yeah, yeah you're right. <laughs> it yeah. just can't be. You have to make the phone call. You have to do the due diligence. You have to say thank you very much and hang up the phone so you can answer the question, yes, we checked on the price and it was too expensive for us. As we get ready for this game tonight, our pregame show beginning a little while from now at 6.10. I'll get you out of here on this, Buster. Um, we've made so much of Otani, and rightly so, when he's the best player in the world. We've kind of forgotten, it's not the right word, but we've kind of uh, let Mike Trout take a back seat. How good still is Mike Trout? Because I'm excited to watch him this weekend in addition to Otani. Well, yeah. I mean, for years we talked about Trout being uh, not only the best player in baseball, but uh, maybe the best player of all time in terms of the start of the career he's had. He, he's been sidelined in recent years. He's missed games. Uh, you know, that slowed his pace in terms of the numbers he's putting up. And yet this year, he's got an OPS of close to 1,000. <laughs> <laughs> like he would immediately, if he were on the Red Sox, with all due respect to Raphael Devers, Trout would immediately become their best player. Uh, he's the second best player in the world. Uh, I have wondered what it must be like for Trout to watch this year play out because he's so competitive. He wants to win so badly. And while you know he's the first one to, to give Otani his props for being a great player, can you imagine being Trout and understanding that the guy who gives you the best chance to win might be only four or five months from walking out mm. the door? Yeah, fascinating stuff for the Angels for sure. And we talked about how they need a good start, and it's been kind of ho-hum. They had a good series against the Nationals they're coming off of. But uh, we'll see it play out this weekend at Fenway, a four-game set, which includes the Patriots Day Monday game. So we're looking forward to that. Buster only of ESPN. Buster, be well. Have a great weekend there with the Astros and the Rangers. And uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Okay, Brady, thanks for doing this. Absolutely. Thank you for doing this. Don't thank me for doing this. Thank you for doing this. We'll step aside. CBS National News Update. We'll react to what Buster had to say. We'll give you the Sox lineup, so we'll do it next on the Brady Farkas Show on the EV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show here on DEV. We'll get you to the Red Sox baseball here in about five and a half minutes here. We'll get you to the lineups here as well. Masataka Yoshida out of the lineup today. One more day to rest that hamstring. He's meeting with the Japanese media right now at Fenway where there are just throngs of Japanese media there between Otani and Yoshida and the World Baseball Classic victory that involved, involved both of them. There's certainly a lot to talk about there. Yoshida said he is honored to play against Otani in the best baseball stadium in the world, meaning Fenway Park. So cool there. It is going to be Otani pitching on Monday for the Angels, largely against uh, uh, against Brian Bayo, who's coming back from the injured list. Texter says, that's sad what Buster has to say about the Red Sox and Otani. It is. The Boston Red Sox should never be in a position to be outbid for the best player around. Shohei Otani is the best player in the world. 
The Boston Red Sox have the money to pay him. They should not lose out to any other team because of money. Look, if you stacked up Boston and San Diego and Los Angeles and New York and Chicago and Seattle and San Francisco, if you stacked up all those places together and Otani just said, I don't want to be in Boston, that would be one thing. You cannot change that. If Otani says, I want to be on the West Coast, I want to be in better weather, I want to be by, you know, I want whatever, right? If Otani said, I want something that Boston, the city, can't give me, then you have no you have no counter to that. But what you can't have is money be the deciding factor. Look, New York is not a better place than Boston, right? I am not a, a New York City fan at all. New York City is not a better place than Boston. If Otani just gets more money from the Mets or the Yankees and chooses to go there, that's going to be bad for, for the Red Sox. right? If he says, look, I want to go to San Diego and I'll take $80 million less to do it, you can't compete with that. that that's just a personal preference. And I have to just tip my hat and say, okay. But I can't have it be where the Red Sox aren't. don't even put themselves to be in the room. I don't know that the Red Sox could get him. I think Otani probably does want to stay on the West Coast. Padres, Giants, Mariners, Dodgers, I think they're all options. But you have to put yourself in the room and Buster's saying that they're not, and that is frustrating. That is really frustrating. Otani's going to pitch on Monday. I, I've seen Otani pitch a bunch of times in my life, but I really studied Otani the la- uh, his second, his two starts ago. He pitched against the Nationals the other day, but I watched him the other day against the Mariners, the one before that. Otani is a different pitcher, really, when I sat down and watched it, than I was expecting. Otani throws 100 miles an hour, yet he throws 20% fastballs. Like one out of every five pitches is a fastball. It's shocking to me. It used to be you threw hard, you lived off your fastball, and you set up everything else. Otani's the opposite of that. He's going to throw like 40% sweepers on uh, on Monday when the Red Sox see him. He pitches in a way that's totally different than I was expecting, and we're going to get to see it on Monday. All right, let's get the lineups. The Angels are 7-5. The Red Sox are 5-8. Tanner Houck takes the mound for the Sox 2-0 with a 4-5-0. Possibly his last Red Sox start because Brian Bayo's coming back. Alex Verdugo leads off in right. He's got a homer in six RBIs. Justin Turner's hitting 255. No homers, four ribbies. He's the DH. Rob Refsnyder's in left, hitting third again. Homer, homered yesterday, four RBIs. Rafi Devers hitting 280 in the four spot. Five homers in 12 RBIs. Kike Hernandez is in center. He's got two homers. Christian Arroyo's at second. Tristan Costas is at first. Connor Wong is the catcher. And Yu Chang is the shortstop. This is a sad back half of the order for the Sox. Kike's at 114. Arroyo at 189. Costas at 132. Wong at 120. And Yu Chang has not had a hit since the World Baseball Classic pool play round. Patrick Sandoval is pitching for the Angels. He's 1-0 with a 1-6-4. Taylor Ward leads off in left. He's hitting 292. 
Trout's hitting 262. He's got three homers and nine RBIs. He plays center. Otani's got three homers. He's hitting 300. He's the DH. Anthony Rendon is at third. He's batting fourth. Former Red Sox player Hunter Renfro hitting 295 with three homers and nine ribbies is in right. Jake Lamb is the first baseman. Brandon Drury is the second baseman. Luis Renjifo is the shortstop. And how about this? Logan O'Hop. Logan O'Hoppy, I should say. Four homers, 11 RBIs, leads the team in both categories. He's the rookie catcher, and he bats ninth. I'll see you Monday for a full show. Enjoy the weekend on DEV.